Well, we are back to where I love being back in, uh, we've had been a break, but uh, we're back in Corinthians, and I am very glad to be there. And I'm not sure if it's going to benefit y'all or if it's a liability, but I had more time to think about this sermon than I usually do. I, I had about an extra 10 days there in Virginia, and several of them were spent in, 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 in bed. In fact, I got so desperate, I even started watching Downton Abbey. I, I don't know if you know of this, but uh, uh, that's how desperate I was back there, lots of, lots of time. We're in 1 Corinthians, but I think Paul summarizes a verse that just frames for me all of his letters, and it's one of my favorite texts. Ephesians is probably my favorite book of the Bible. Of this gospel, the good news of Jesus, I was made a minister, according Paul writes, to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, I don't think this is hyperbole for Paul. You remember, he was the guy that was trying to kill the church movement, kill the gospel. I don't think he is overemphasizing this. He saw himself as the worst of sinners. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, his grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. The unsearchable riches of Christ. This is the good news of Jesus. And to bring to light for everyone. He understands the magnitude of what God's done. He was the primary leader of the persecution of the church. God brought him to faith, and he saw the beauty of this gospel. To bring to life for everyone is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church... Folks, I quit being a pastor after my first gig. It wasn't what I hoped I would be. Lots of factors. One of the most significant was my immaturity. A lot of it was, man, these church folks just ain't that interested in God. This passage, this truth brought me back. Now, I understand I am probably the biggest part of the problem. But the magnitude of this truth that through the church, through us, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known, made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What Paul is saying, not just to people here, that's implied. But God's plan is that his beauty, his grace, his glory be seen in us. Man, we're beginning 2022. My hope is that this truth penetrates our minds and our hearts and it fills us. I don't know how important you think your life is. Let me tell you what Paul says, how important your life, my life, our life is. We exist. This is why we are a church family, to display the glory of God. Now, if you ask me to summarize what that would be known for, I got three primary characteristics and we could come up with a gazillion. The first one is hope. To be a part of our fellowship, to be connected with our fellowship, to be looking at our fellowship. If you come, you experience hope. 
I don't know, but the world is a challenging place, and it was a challenging place before COVID. I think some people have just finally woken up. People need hope. Their lives are desperate. They're depressing. They're downhearted. They're having trouble financially. Their relationships aren't working, and they don't know where to turn for hope. How to turn to us. Because of the hope we have in God and the security that comes with knowing he is working in all things. Joy. Life has been harder for most of us these last couple of years for many of us than ever in our life. Hard, but in the midst of the difficulty, there is a joy that comes from knowing we are children of God, that he has redeemed us, and that he is working in every stinking detail of life including when we get COVID. He's got a point in it. And it's for our good. Did I love having COVID? I did not. Was it for my good? I have no doubt whatsoever. And I'll tell you, I appreciate life just a little bit more. I appreciate being healthy just a little bit more. For those who have been severely sick with COVID, I have a little more sympathy. This was for my good. And love. Oh, the infinite love of God poured into our hearts that we might take it in his love and that we might give it back to him as a result of his first giving it to us and then that we give it to everybody else. This is what God's intent is that churches be. Communities where hope thrives, where joy flourishes, and love is so prevalent, you just can't escape it. That's God's design, that we might reveal who he is. Now, it's been a challenging time. Lots of issues I... You probably heard, maybe heard me reference. I referenced the, the unholy trifecta from my vantage point, my personal view. Politics. You guys remember there was an election not too long ago? This side and this side. People fighting. COVID. More specifically, the response to COVID. People on this side, people on this side. Racism, the killing of George Floyd being a catalyst. How do we respond to racism? Very different perspectives. There's an anger out there, a bitterness that is more prevalent, you've heard me say, than at any time in my life. Churches have not been immune from that anger, from that frustration, from that bitterness. And church's ability to promote hope, joy, and love feel like, to me, it's been compromised. Barna, since this COVID thing began, interesting statistics. 38% of lead pastors, senior pastors, have seriously considered uh, quitting, giving it up. The number that concerns me even more is that 46% of pastors under the age of 45 
in these last 22 months have considered giving it up. We are here to promote the manifold wisdom of God. Let me summarize again. Hope, joy, and love. That's who we are. Does the world stink? Is it difficult in lots of ways? Yes, it is. Yet we are to be a bastion of hope, of joy, and love. Now, Paul's letters, all of them, are to build up the church. Every one of them. I love that summary in Ephesians 3, but that's what every letter is about. I just like those verses 7 to 10 there because it feels like to me a summary. Now I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians. We've been a while there, so we're going to summarize it real quickly and, and then move into the text for today. The culture is having too big an influence. The Corinthian church is not a good picture of God's glory and love. The foundation of the healthy relationship, he said it in just those first nine verses, and it was pretty quick. In most of his other letters, he, he, he spends half the book talking about it because he's got a lot of issues to deal with in Corinth. He doesn't spend much time, but it's deep and it's rich. All who trust Jesus have experienced a radical, eternally life-altering experience. But the problem there in Corinth is the wisdom of the world. The culture is too heavily impacting the church family. They are not expressing the mind of Christ in their thinking or treatment of one another. And part of what makes Corinthians, in my estimation, so relevant for every culture, including ours, is I think that's the temptation since Jesus ascended into heaven. To keep the values that come from him to make sure we understand what they are and we don't confuse them with the cultural values and integrate them in an unhealthy way. But we see what Jesus actually wants to promote. Now, he has all kinds of unhealthy expressions here. Go back and read these first 14 chapters. I'm just going to summarize it. But he, after he gives that foundation, those first nine verses, then he just starts unloading uh, through, through these 14 chapters on the unhealthy. Disunity, right away he got into that. Arrogance. These people are looking for status. Sexually immoral. They're not resolving conflict with one another. They're selfish. They have lousy views on marriage. They're not living God, God's relational design. They're self-focused. They are unloving. You guys remember 1 Corinthians 13? Because they're not being that loving to one another. Now, the healthy expressions, you could just turn around the unhealthy list and just flip that upside down, but I, I made another list. Seeking the good of others first, forfeiting personal rights. This is how we display hope and joy and love. Paul used himself as an illustration, living by God's design for relationships, celebrating and using the spiritual gifts of the whole church family, everybody using them, promoting the good of the church family. That's what we care about, loving my hope is that 1 Corinthians 13 is a chapter that we will all love. It's, oh, oh, hope, joy, love, love. Devoted to knowing the truth of God, encouraging all the brothers and sisters. And that's where we're going to be today. That's what he's still focusing on, encouraging all the brothers and sisters. That's why we exist. The context. Disruptive, confusing, and disorderly worship gatherings. And we've been dealing with this for the last several chapters. But here's what's going on historically. The people are getting together, and it's not reflecting God's character in the way they're, they're getting together, these church gatherings. Now, the big idea, again, is God's desire that we live to encourage one another. The purpose of this church, that hope, joy, and love 
would reign. There's somebody visits us and they don't know Christ, they would get a little dose of hope, a little dose of joy, and a little big dose of we hope love. That's why we exist, to build one another up. So you guys ready to read? Finally to the text. The nice thing is there are no limits in terms of how long we can be together. What then, brothers? Remember, I had an extra eight or nine days uh, to think about this. What then, brothers, when you come together, we're picking it up from where Keith left off, you remember, before Christmas, the first part of 14. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy by one, one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Father, I pray as we look at this text that you'll help us to see the big idea of what you have conveyed here. Some challenging ideas in this text. Father, I pray that you would not allow any of us to get sidetracked. But I pray we would see your glory, your grace, your love, and your plan. And I pray that we would leave here today with a little more hope, with a little more joy, and with a little more love. So work through these words that you inspired to encourage us, Father, to build up this fellowship, this family. May we leave here spiritually stronger than when we arrive, Father. And may we take that and use that to encourage others. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we live to encourage others in the love of Jesus. This is the big idea of all we're talking about today. Everybody heard that? Because as we go on and deal with some other subordinate subjects, we could lose sight of this. Now this is the big idea of the section we're dealing with. It's the big idea of 1 Corinthians. It's the big idea of all of Paul's letters. And the church here in Corinth has lost sight of it. And he spent 14 chapters trying to encourage them to correct this and fix it. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Now that's not going on in Corinth. You got some folks that are selfish. You got some folks that are looking for attention. You're looking for some people that just want to be known as being a little higher than others. I watched Downton Abbey. It's a fascinating. How many of you have seen Downton Abbey? Fascinating uh, show on social class dealing with issues of today back in the, in the early 1900s. 
But what struck me the most is we just live in a world where we like social strata and we like to measure ourselves against other folks. What struck me in this is the servants in the show have a social order. In the servants, the footman is below a, a, a butler, but the footman is above a cook. I mean, it never occurred to me, but we just like to, and that's what's going on in that church. Good thing that doesn't go on in 2022 anywhere, isn't it? that people are looking to have some status above other folks. It's a good thing that that just isn't a problem today, but that problem is rampant here. Go back through particularly chapter 11 where he starts working with worship gatherings, and these people, they, they're abusing communion. You remember all this stuff? These people, they got it messed up. Let all things be done for building up. Our hope as leaders, elders and staff, and I hope everyone else around here is that every decision we make is for the spiritual encouragement of the body, for the benefit. Not to promote anybody's personal agenda, not to promote anybody's personal uh, uh, preferences. We all have them. We're happy to hear what yours are. But we want to exist to encourage everybody here. That's what this is about. Now, different folks have different gifts that should be used. Paul already went through extensively this a couple of chapters ago on everybody in the church has gifts. But here, even in terms of worship, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, or a tongue, or an interpretation. He's not saying every individual has one of those every week, but here's what he's saying. Different people have different gifts that the Holy Spirit has given them to be used to encourage the fellowship. But here's the point again. All should be done orderly. If any speak in a tongue, now, here's how we know the depth of the problem. I would like to just say, if I'm there and addressing him, I'd like you guys to be orderly. This church is so messed up, he jumps down into specific tactics. The man's an apostle of God, telling people only one person should speak at a time. Don't miss this. Because remember back in 1 Corinthians 13, we can have and speak. God can be speaking through us. But if we're not doing it in love, we're just irritating. You remember that? Even though the words might actually be from God. This is about considering others, not just ourselves. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn. Quit talking over one another. And let someone interpret. But if there's one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Again, if you don't have interpret, tongues are a good gift, but they're primarily for personal edification and primarily, generally not for the church. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh in what was said. When people are speaking, everybody should make an assessment. When you listen to me, I'm praying you're making an assessment of how accurately I'm covering the biblical text. Don't accept what I have to say without measuring it. These are words from Paul. We all want to be doing that. And if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Don't keep talking over one another. Now, likely in that context, in some of the cults, people measured the spiritual influence by, the Spirit is speaking to me, so I have to talk. So there was likely chaos in a lot of the cultic worship gatherings. So it could be they're looking at this going, that's how we know we're spiritual, is we just speak from God and we keep going. For you can all prophesy one by one, be orderly, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. Back to the big idea, 
be orderly. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. All Paul is saying here is, don't you ever make a case that God's speaking to me and I just can't keep myself quiet because it's the spirit speaking through me. No. If the spirit's speaking through you, you still have the ability to control yourself. You still have the ability to control what you say. Be orderly. Don't be arguing, God told me so I just have to get it out. I can't keep it. No. If it's from God, you actually can control what you say and listen to others and hear what they have to say and then evaluate whether or not it's true. And we live to display the character of God. My hope is that you appreciate at RCC in every decision we can to the best of our ability, we're just trying to display the character of God in our priorities and our values and our tactics, how we make decisions around here. Are we always doing it perfectly? No but we're doing it to the best of our, our ability. We want, because we take this seriously, that we are here to, 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 to make known the manifold wisdom of God. For you, for you can call all prophecy one, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So where there's confusion, there's gonna be less peace. Now, I've been to a couple services, it's years ago, where folks were peaking in the spirit and they, it was, if I can, chaos. Now, I wasn't afraid, but it didn't encourage me. I was hoping to have an experience where I got encouraged in God. Now, the gift of tongues is a good gift. Don't misunderstand this. This is a good gift being promoted by Paul. But I've been in places a couple of times where they did not abide by the principles Paul's laying out here, and it didn't benefit me into Paul's earlier point in, in 1 Corinthians 14. If an unbeliever had been there, somebody who hadn't yet trusted Christ, I'm pretty sure it would have been very unappealing and looked like nonsense. Now, do I believe God gives the gift of tongues today? What do you think? I, I do. I believe this is a gift. I'm not a cessationist, if you're familiar with that term. But here's the big idea. Everything that happens in church, everything that happens in church should be done for the good of everybody. Everything. That's our intent and that's what we're working toward. Now I want you to keep that clear in your mind before we go to the next paragraph that my guess is will increase everybody's interests. You ready for the next paragraph? That gets everybody's interest? What's the big idea of the text? Is it about the role of women? It's not. The big idea of this text is about doing everything for the glory of God, everything for the good of the body. We're going to go to another paragraph that when you think of 1 Corinthians 14, I think some people think of, oh, that's about the role of women. No. No. It's about doing everything to encourage others. Now, is he going to mention the role of women? And are we going to deal with that? A little bit. <laughs> Big idea is we do everything for the glory of God and for the good of the fellowship. And here's the way I'm going to put it. Because here's the principle I think that's lie, that lies behind the specific tactics that Paul's going to give us. Now you hear me say tactics in this passage. He's already dealt with specific tactics in the last paragraph. I'm going to tell you as a preacher... I don't want to go to your home Bible study and say, 
Fred, you need to quit talking so much, you need to wait for the other person to talk. After they're done talking, then you may speak. I just assume not deal with that. How about we just be polite? That's what Paul would like to say. But there's enough problems going on here, he's having to get precise with the issues. So we lovingly interact with one another according to the roles that God has given us. And here's in the text what he says. Lord, help us here. Keep the big idea in mind. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a man to speak in church. Now I think Paul is providing a tactical solution to a very specific problem going on there in Corinth. And I take these verses and the other places where he talks about this subject to try and find the principles behind what Paul's dealing with. Does that all make sense to folks? You ready to go? Let me start here. The immediate historical problem is some women are inappropriately disrupting the worship gatherings. Is the problem they're having in worship at Corinth primarily due to women? I want to hear a yes or no real out. Is it primarily to do with women? No. Read the whole book. They are not the primary problem. They are not the primary problem. But there's an element that's going on that Paul's here addressing specifically. There's an arrogance, there's not loving folks that is rippling through the whole congregation. Now, what Paul is not saying, women are less important than men. No woman is ever to speak in a church service. Well, I'm going to go back to that first one again. I think what could be happening here, again, this is a lot of us is speculative. Paul in Galatians 3 writes to those folks to emphasize the unity and the value of every believer. There is no Jew, there is no Greek. You guys know this one? No slave, no free, no male, no female. And it could be that some of these women are taking that and abusing that and saying, therefore, there's no distinction in roles. What he's emphasizing in Galatians is the value of everybody. Now, no woman is ever to speak in a church service. Some take this that way. And if you read this paragraph, in my estimation, out of the context, literary context, you could come to that conclusion very accurately. But in chapter 11, verses 5 and 13, you got women praying and you got them prophesying. Prophesying is speaking into the truth in a church service. Now, many see what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, therefore, as a contradiction of what he writes in chapter 11. People come up with all kinds of solutions. One, Paul didn't actually write 1 Corinthians 14. This was a later edition. I think that I had a word in my head. I'm just going to say it's not a good argument. Does that make sense? Some that argue Paul changed his mind. In chapter 11, women could speak. By the time he got to chapter 14, he didn't think they should speak. I mean, there. I, I bet I've read 17 different solutions to this text. Now hear me say, I think this is a complicated one to deal with because Paul is dealing with a practical solution and he's given very tactic, a very a practical problem and he's dealing with, and he gives a tactical solution so it's harder to derive the principles here. But to suggest that no woman is ever to speak in a worship service uh, is a contradiction of what he said in chapter 11. So I, I don't believe that's what he means. Now what Paul is saying, 
Men and women are to be actively involved in ministry. All have gifts, all have abilities. Men and women have equal value. That God is designed, I do believe what he teaches. Now, I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 14. I'm also looking at 1 Corinthians 11. I'm also looking at 1 Timothy 2. And I'm also looking at Ephesians 5 that's primarily about marriage. Let's just start here. There's not much written on this subject. I think, interpretively, we ought to draw some conclusions on that. This is not a huge deal to Paul or to God. There are not that many texts. And integrating these texts to build the principles is challenging. And people come to a lot of different conclusions. So I'm sharing mine. I think they're the most legitimate. That this is a complicated interpretive issue. But I do believe God, Paul is communicating here, that Paul has, has that God has given complementary roles. The way we talk about that is the final responsibility in the church and in the home is with men. Now, I preached on this subject much more extensively back in October. And in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul pulls it apart far more than he does here. And to give this principle of complementary relationships, he references Jesus, who submitted to the Father, and he references creation. For, what, for me, those are the biggest reasons to suggest that what he's talking about here in terms of principle is not just for our culture. When you reference the character of God and you reference what God did in creation, those are not contemporary foundations for your argument. He'll talk about that more in, in 1 Timothy 2. So when we talk about this, I believe, the leadership around here believes, that God has designed men and women to live in complementary roles. You want to talk about this more? I'd be happy to. After I preached that sermon, I had a few conversations with folks. Happy to talk about that, that more. But if you're really interested in this a little more thoroughly, the first thing I'd encourage you to do is go back and look at that sermon where, where we pull it apart. Now, living within the roles God has given us, any of us, benefits the body. And the principle here is, is submitting all of us where God has put us in a relational structure where submission is the appropriate response, where we're allowing others to have the responsibility they have, there's great freedom that comes with that, and not taking on more responsibility than we, we should. Submitting appropriately where the role of God is given to us glorifies him, encourages the other. I'm going to go back quickly to a little bit of where I went in that sermon. I'm the lead pastor here. You guys know that, right? I'm the senior pastor. Do I have to submit to any humans around here? I'm the lead pastor. I do. I submit to the elder board because I believe they have an authority for this church family that supersedes mine. The elders submit happily to the congregation. We're a congregational form of government. The elders will submit to the will of this fellowship and to this body. It's just a principle that works in any organization. Of course, we're living in a culture where this gender one, may I say, is not popular. And I'm suggesting in the family and in the church, I'm not suggesting we try to promote these principles out there in the world. I do not. But these are the principles that God gives us. So, mistaken views. Reading this to say more than Paul is saying. There are some that take this and say women should never speak in the church. Man, you got a real problem with 1 Corinthians 11 verses 5 and 13. 
real problems there. And some who want to go there, in my estimation, not recognizing sometimes the interpretive challenges with the way Paul has addressed this. Reading that one paragraph without reading the broader context. On the other side, I think trying to say less than what Paul is saying. There are some that are arguing Paul is just making a cultural argument for the problem in church. Or these women were just speaking here and it doesn't really apply to others. Not the way I look at it, given the foundation of what Paul argues, particularly in chapter 11 and 1 Timothy 2 for this. Feels like to me he's laying forth a principle in terms of responsibility. Now I mentioned in 1 Corinthians 11, part of the reason this is so challenging in churches, and it is my deep conviction, because men in the home and in the church are not always doing a great job of lovingly leading. Part of the reason this is a challenge. Men aren't doing what they should do. And if men did what they did with the love that they were supposed to do it at home and in church, feels like to me this would be less of an issue. So the big idea, God's desire is that we live to encourage one another. That's the point. And in that church, he gets very specific with very specific tactics to, uh, to encourage them so they reflect God's glory. Now, the last point here. We happily and wholeheartedly live by the principles we get from God. Not just in reference to what he just said about women's roles. We happily and wholeheartedly live by the principles we get from God. Or was it from you that the word of God came or are you the only ones that is reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Here Paul is trying to make clear he's speaking for God. And if you're not listening to him, it's not really good. Or what... Or was it from you that the word of God came? How many of you like sarcasm? Oh, not that many. I may try to do a little less, but probably not. Because I'm a huge fan of sarcasm. And if you don't speak sarcasm in our family home, it will be. It's a bit adjustment for those who have married in. But don't miss the sarcasm. And every time I can look at the scripture to support it. Now, he's using it differently than I would. I just use it to have fun. Paul's using sarcasm here to make a point. I will not do that. Or was it from you that the word of God came? You guys are living in this way. You're not living by these principles. You're not promoting the glory of God like you should. Did you guys get this stuff? Of course, what's implied here is, you guys got this, Paul is saying, from me. Because God chose me to give you this truth. You guys have the gospel now, and you're not listening to me. You're living as though what I've given you doesn't matter. Or are you the only ones that has reached? You're living in contradiction to a lot of churches. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command from the Lord. Paul is saying this truth. So if what he says in that prior paragraph, do we believe that's from God? Let me pause at the beginning of 2022. Do we believe what he wrote in that prior paragraph is from God? We do. We're going to understand it to the best of our ability, try to understand what Paul intended to the best of our ability, and then we're going to live it. 
Now, is he primarily, when he references that these commands are from God, primarily talking about the last paragraph? No! In the church, particularly in that day, women had freedoms that were unheard of in their culture. Unheard of. When he writes this, he's writing about the whole 14 chapters thus far and the two we still have left to deal with. You should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. And if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Not recognized by whom? I think God. I think the greatest threat to evangelical Christianity right now, you've heard me say, is this post-evangelical progressive Christianity movement. What they're deciding from the scriptures what they like and what they don't like. Right here, Paul is saying to do that is not a good thing. That is not a positive thing. And we want to live to promote the decency and order that emanates from the character of God. Again, do everything for the building up. That's the big idea. Then he gets into a lot of specific tactics. But notice how he ends this. And then we're going to 1 Corinthians 15 next week. The biggest theological, major theological correction comes in chapter 15 in this book. But all things should be done decently in order because that's who God is. And why are they done decently in order? Because we understand that's the character of God. And our motive in all of our interactions is to build up the fellowship. So we want to around here at RCC candidly share our perspectives with one another. That's our hope on just about any subject. Does that include politics? Does it include COVID response? Yep. Does it include how we deal with racism? Yep. Now, my dear hope, you can hear me say, is those are not the primary subjects of our conversation. But we want to be a church family that we honestly share with one another whatever's on our minds. Julie and I, with our kids, our value in a home from the time they was little is whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, we want you to share that with us. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. But then we had another principle. We're going to always lovingly interact with one another. We're going to share that love. In our home, sometimes our kids got this candid piece, but in our estimation, it was not the loving, appropriate expression. It wasn't about the content. It was absolutely about the tone. Can't do that with that tone. Want to hear what you're saying, but until you can gather yourself and get an appropriate tone, you need to keep that to yourself. Now, as soon as you can talk to us in an appropriate tone, we want to know what you're thinking, and that's our values around here, around anything. Now, when we don't, are we always going to speak to one another in love at RCC? What's your experience been the last two years? Not always. Not one of us, including me, probably specifically me, is in a glorified state yet. Have anybody here been frustrated in a conversation with anybody in the last two years? Can anybody? When we do, we're going to ask for their forgiveness. We're going to do our best to speak in love, but when we don't, we're going to apologize and say, will you forgive me? When somebody asks us forgiveness, what do you think we're going to do? We're going to say, I forgive you. Genuinely, authentically, because the list God had against me that he's forgiven is not even worth mentioning compared to your offense to me. I shouldn't even put it on the board. So I am happily 
Can I forgive you because of what uh, Jesus has done for me? We're going to live to encourage one another. The fellowship, I do understand uh, COVID. Can you tell COVID has hit RCC this morning? Yes. Those of you at home, glad you're with us. COVID has hit. Uh, we can tell just sitting here. But we're going to live to encourage one another. That's why God made us a fellowship, to build one another up, to help people help people. It's one of the things that matters about to us. When we're discouraged, when we're struggling financially, when there are emotional challenges, when there are relational challenges, we're here to help one another and help one another so that they can help others. That's why we exist. We're here to help people. We want to encourage them. We want, finally, to promote in all we do the manifold wisdom of God. It's why we exist and why we do our best with even challenging biblical texts and issues to try and discern as best we can what God is saying. He's entrusted us with the gospel. You want to pray for me? Here's one of the ways you can pray for me. I take this very seriously, the role, role that God has granted me here. Is it overwhelming? I take it seriously. I'm grateful that ultimately I'm a child of his. But you want to pray for me? There's how you can pray for me. Like, like uh, our, our brother Brent. Wisdom, grace, and to trust God. Pray for one another. When you meet somebody from RCC in the grocery store, what do I hope will be our motive in our interaction? Anybody want to guess? Say it out loud. How about you encourage them? How many of you like to be encouraged? It is a very cool thing. You all over, even while I've been not well here and sitting in Virginia, the encouragement I've got, I can't tell you what it means. I'm 63 years old. I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years, and I still can't tell you what a little encouragement means. It's why we exist. And it's how we introduce people to God. You think there are people out there right now that need to be encouraged? We're trying to figure out how to get them connected with us better. We're trying to figure out how to get to them better. Because whatever you're wrestling with, there's a whole bunch of people out there that have not much hope, not much joy. What was the last one? Not much love. But that's why we exist. Thanks, Father, for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you uh, even for allowing me to ramble on and on about your goodness. My prayer again, Father, is that you will use this text to encourage us in your grace and your love. Life is often challenging, often difficult, just downright hard. I pray that you would use us to encourage one another, to lift one another up, to build one another up. May your love, your hope, your grace, your joy be experienced by us, in us, and through us. And may it fill us more and more, and may it spread to others, Father. That's our prayer for 2022, that all of us would be happier, more hope-filled, ah, experiencing and expressing more love than in any year before. That's our prayer.